G'day there, lovely people, and welcome to the latest episode of The Finnovator with me, Stuart, a business coach, author, lover of tech, and a whole bunch of other things, which frankly, if you need to know more about that, there's a website, uh, aldari.com.au. But today, I want to talk to you about licensee transitions. Uh, there have been so much movement over the past few years, and uh, it feels like it wasn't that long ago we started talking about the exodus from licensee land towards self-licensing. The data now shows that not only is that happening, but we've also got this extra thing of people leaving leaving the industry altogether, which I I think it's really um, scary to me that there's a lot of good advisors who are potentially leaving and we're going to end up with this shortage. But anyway, uh, no doubt there'll be legislation to sort that out later on, he says, tongue-in-cheek and cheekily. This one was a really interesting one because normally I've always shied away from running sessions where we talk about moving licensees or doing this or doing that. Uh, People tend to get quite sensitive about these things. Uh, But this time around, it was such a a topic that was coming up so regularly. And it was coming up because sometimes a lot of the need to transition from one licensee to another previously had been choice. Uh, But now it was coming about necessity. And in this particular uh, session, which ironically, I have never had so many registrations from non-advisors. Uh, I don't know whether that was uh, co- coincidence. I'm pretty sure not. But um, we had three use cases at work here. Uh, James Williamson, who if you've heard uh, my previous uh, podcast, Master of Reviews, you'll know James as dulcet tones well. Uh, he was someone who made a choice uh, to actively, over a period of time, go from being within a licensee to getting his own license. So that's the first case. Jeff Whitten, who is uh, one of our founding members of the Leverage Advice Firm program. He was there that first session when I ran when it was just three of us in a room. Um, he, on the other hand, was uh, was part of the Financial Wisdom Licensee. So he was forced to choose a new licensee uh, due to Financial Wisdom unfortunately closing down, which was I think was a tragedy. Uh, having worked with the guys there, uh, I think it was one of those, those licensees which uh, had really good quality advisors, really good quality people, and I think was yeah, it was, it, was, it was a shame to lose them. The third one, Matt Bruce, who unfortunately couldn't join us on the session, but uh, he shot through some stuff for me to share. His was more of a selection thing, whereby uh, many, many licensees out there have made a choice that they only want to have certain types of businesses within the licensee. And uh, he'd had experience of this uh, within certain areas. And I think there's some licensees that have done this well. And there's some licensees that frankly have done it poorly. Uh, in this case, Matt's case was not one of the poorly ones, but uh, I can tell you uh, just off the cuff, uh, there have been more than a few cases that I've dealt with where people have been put in situations, particularly during the whole coronavirus, which I think if they got out, certain licensees would be ashamed of. But anyway, that to one side. This was a really important one because uh, we spoke about sort of everything from what, when you should, when you when to know it's time to move, what you should look for, how to research a new licensee, how to go out there and make sure you're making the right decision, what to know when you come on board and make the transition as smooth as possible. We even talked about the, you know, the time costs of running your own license, whether or not, how do you make the decision whether licensing uh, yourself is right for you and a whole bunch of other things. We had some great input there from some people who came along to join us, uh, including Michael Gertzkoff. A big shout out to you, Michael. Uh, so I think this is a real... Uh, a real jam-packed session, which is full of really, really good insight. So I guess if you are forced uh, to look at going to another licensee, if you've been thinking about doing it for a while and you kind of work out whether it's right for you, or you're just interested on what that world looks like, this is a uh, session that I think, or an episode that I think you're going to really, really enjoy. Without any further delay, let's hand over and we'll run through the licensee transition. Let me give you a bit of an outline. Uh, one of our panelists, unfortunately, couldn't make it today. Uh, his son is actually having an interview, uh, I believe maybe a, uh, even a scholarship for Joey's, uh, but he's, he's gave me some of his insights, so I'm going to be reading off this. But I wanted to introduce you to our other two panelists. Uh, James Williamson and Jeff Whitten, uh, as well as some of the businesses I've worked with the longest there, they've become two people I have a lot of respect for, and I may even go as far to say as, as they've become good friends. Uh, Jeff was one of the founders on our Leverage Advice program. Yeah, as well as being a, gr- a great advisor, um, he's also he's also a rugby league referee. So when I said to the idea of we come here and people would throw questions at him, you'll understand he usually stands in the middle of a pitch with thirteen huge rugby league players on each side arguing at him. So pretty much nothing faces him. Um, James Williamson is as well as is, is goes even beyond just being a founder. He's actually my first client I ever engaged as an independent coach. Again. Uh, he's got a great story to tell. Jeff's story uh, is a little bit different. Jeff, as a result of circumstance, basically found out that his licensee was closing down. So it was one of those situations where he had to step forward 
And he's got a, uh, an interesting business, very strong, lots of different pieces going on. So he's going to talk about it from the perspective of the have to. James, on the other hand, made a decision that his business model would probably be best suited as his own license. And as a result, he's going to give it from the perspective of you know, self-licensing uh, as opposed to uh, licensing selection and also understand you know, what, what goes on when you make that choice. So we've got a really good spread. Okay, gentlemen, how are we going? Good. Jeff, James, was that an accurate introduction of you both? Sounds good. Sound yeah. all right? Yeah, it's fine. Fine by me. Yeah, I love <laughs> the fact that, like, we were talking about, is there any questions you don't mind? And Jeff just looks at me and gave me that look and says, I, rugby, I, 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 I referee rugby league. I'll be fine. That's good. Gents, thank you so much for joining uh, me today. This is a really hot topic. When it went out, we had a lot of people uh, sort of have an interest in it, but it's also a topic that right here and now is, is very top of mind for a whole bunch of reasons. We've seen the, sh- you know, the, the, the move to self-licensing probably increased certainly last year. On top of that, we've had a lot of situations where either licensees have chosen to sh- shut down or been forced to shut down or alternatively they've had conversations with businesses about you know, their businesses not being viable moving forward. Let's start from the beginning. Uh, Jeff, let's start with you. For those who don't know you, might not have watched before, give them a bit of an overview of you, know, you your business, who you help, the history. I started in the financial planning industry back in the mid-90s uh, with NRMA Financial Planning when they had a, a very small operation. I think there was about 40 advisors there. Uh, and I stayed with NRMA through till they transferred over to the Clearview brand. Okay. Um, I then took the opportunity to move from there. I spent six months with a, an accounting firm, which was really good because it taught me that I wasn't suited to work in an accounting firm. And then I joined the guys at Dome. The, uh, when, I, when I joined Dome, it was a, basically an insurance, uh, a personal risk brokerage firm or a personal risk insurance firm. Yep. Uh, and the two principals at the time wanted to expand their business into financial planning. Okay. So we were licensed with, uh, with AXA FP at the time. Gotcha. And uh, so I joined those guys on a, on a, a pittance of salary as a salaried employee. Yep. Uh, I eventually was given some equity and then I um, broached the subject with one of them that, that we buy the, the third director out and we did that uh, about seven years ago now. Yeah, but roughly seven, six, seven years ago, um, my business partner at the time decided that he wanted to, to get out. Yep. Um, and so we looked at a, a few options of potential suitors that might want to buy us both. And then I said, look, if I can't borrow enough money to buy you out, will you vendor finance me out? Beautiful. And so I've gone from, you know, in 2002, a um, very lowly paid uh, employee to now the sole owner of the business. Right. And it's, it's a fairly significant business. You've got three locations, right? Yeah, three offices, um, four uh, authorised representatives, uh, including myself uh, in the business. We did have six. We uh, did lose a couple of just prior to Christmas. Uh, yep. So, uh, and that's what happens in this game. So, it's, At the same time, it's probably not a, not, a, not a situation right now where you'd want to be sort of in between roles or no. into the business. But okay, James, how about you? Give, give people the background to yourself and the business. And Yeah. Okay. So I uh, came over to Australia in about 2001. Um, I'd spent my career previously in the UK and insolvency. So felt like I wanted to do something a bit more positive coming over here. So, uh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, um, went to the planning world and worked for a couple of people and then started up the business in 2006 with two clients and really just built it from there. So we were licensed under uh, charter from about 2007, right the way up until a couple of years ago. Uh, and then uh, self-licensed, but two ARs, uh, four support staff, uh, one office in Pimble, uh, and at home now. <laughs> so, uh, so my wife has the office, and I get the laundry. So, um, uh, yeah. So, and it's been, you know, we've built organically. We we made a couple of small small book purchases along the way, uh, which some are better than others. And uh, but ultimately, I think we're in a, a good place now. So it's taken time, but we're, we're very happy where we are. Love it. Yeah, I usually start off these webinars by asking people, let me know where you are. But I'm just assuming that most people are going to respond, I'm at home, dummy. So we just move on. <laughs> okay. Um, guys, let's, let's talk about the catalyst for this because um, 
And I guess when Jeff particularly, you know, it's, it's, it's good to talk about sort of obviously when there's a certain thing that occurs, but also I'm also really interested in finding out, was this the only reason? Had you thought about it before? Let's start with Jeff. You know, what was the, what was the situation that made you suddenly go, okay, it's time for me to leave my current licensee and, and, and move? It was the basis. The, the change for me was more around what was happening in the industry. Uh, we could see the writing on the wall with, I think it was Westpac were the first to move in their uh, self-employed licensees. Uh, and, you know, that, that aspect of, of uh, moving with Securator and, and exiting, I've got a, a friend who's a, who was a Securator advisor. Yeah. Uh, so I could see a bit of writing on the wall there. I, yeah. um, I'd, I'd tossed up the idea of maybe getting my own license uh, before. But realistically, um, you know, the push came to shove and it was just simply a case where we knew that, that we eventually they were going to make a decision to, to close down the licensee. So yeah. I started looking uh, and eventually ended up with a letter in November that told me I had six months. So. Okay. And that, look, I have to ask, when you got that, different people are going to react to that. And I know I've had conversations with some advisors who take it a certain way and other people take it a different way. What was your first reaction when you got that letter? Uh, good, good. So I know, so I know the end date. I know when I've got to have a decision by. Right. Um, and that was really it because I was, I was kicking the can down the road. I just kept, oh, you know, I'll, I'll make a decision by the end of September. Uh, I'll make a decision by the end of October. Uh, I think I ended up making a decision around about the middle of December. Um, okay. So, you know, it was just, it was good to get the letter that said you're on a limited time and it made me make a decision. So can I, I just ask, it sounds to me like to some degree you knew that the, the, the relationship or, this, or, or your time at that licensee was potentially coming to an end. Is that fair to say? Yeah, what, yeah, very what, much. What were the signals that indicated to you that maybe the, you know, the relationship wasn't quite as fruitful as it once had been? Uh, I think, you know, anyone that's been involved with an institutional licensee, the, um, the post-Royal Commission um, I've got to say craziness that came with, with uh, compliance uh, and the, the loss of, of really a loss of support. Um, you know, the licensee used to, used to back us to provide uh, advice. They were now saying, well, no, we don't, we don't trust you to provide that advice anymore. Uh, we want to, we want to vet every document that goes out. Um, so it was just a, yeah, just, I think I got to that stage where I said, this is um, to me a, a different mindset to what I was used to. Yeah. Um, and, and I didn't want to play their game anymore. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, James, you obviously different situation. You weren't pushed or you, there was no uh, sort of event that sort of brought forward the decision. What was the situation that, that sort of was a catalyst for you going down that, your route? Uh, well, it actually, it was multi, it was a couple of phases to this. Um, really started after we, we joined Charter in sort of 2007. Then AMP bought out AXA in, I think, 2011, probably 2012, something around that time. Um, so we got then the influence of AMP upon our licensee. Um, so that was an interesting time. We then got to 2013 and 14 with the whole FOFA reforms that came through. And we'd actually considered getting our own license then. Yeah. Um, but... I held off on that because I felt at the time it would be better to have the support of the bigger licensee through these, you know, these changes that are going on. That makes sense. I'm not sure that was a great decision in hindsight, but um, that, that is what it is. And then we really got to a point when, and look, I mean, everyone's got their own opinions about licensees and companies, but for us, the AMP model and the influence of AMP upon us as a, as a firm really was an was negative for us and our clients so we had to make a decision to move in another direction yep. uh, uh, and uh, so in 2017 i decided uh, we need to start planning to move to our own license yeah which we did uh which we eventually got in february 2018. okay now I, look this isn't a licensee i don't want this to turn to a licensee bashing or an institutional bashing because uh, the no. there's some great license out he's out there we do a really good job and it's, you know, it's, it's challenging and there's some great institutional. Let me understand the institutional influence on your business. Where did it start to become clear that maybe the model that you were building was different from the model that the institution was, was um, resourced up to support? 
So for us, it was really around, I, I think some of the bigger licensees, or I'll just use that generic, they tend to cater to the lowest common denominator in the group. Um, and okay. the problem with that is it makes everyone jump through the same hoops. And I think there is a disconnect between the direction of the ARs and the licensee as a whole. So I don't think any, I don't think everyone's pulling in the same direction. And that was very much the case for us. We felt the licensee were very much doing what they wanted to do to protect their license. And I understand that as a holder of AFSL license now, I get that. Um, but I think there was just, there's just different cultures that, and there's lots of different cultures under these AR models. Um, and the problem is if you don't fit, um, it can be quite disruptive to your business. Yeah, that makes total sense. And yeah. um, if, uh, in about 2000 and God, 2007, I was at Hill Ross and I was asked to go and do an analysis at the time of the reason why practices wouldn't want to get their own license. And they asked me to come at it from a, a financial point of view. And when I actually looked into it, there was no financial case. And we'll talk about that a bit later. Mm-hmm. But um, the, the truth, the, the recommendation I made at the time was if you're a business where your business model is sufficiently uh, deviating from the licensee supported business model, and you're happy to take on board things, then in some cases it actually makes sense to, 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 to sort of do that. And I think that's yeah. the thing. If you're a licensee, ultimately you have to control the free radicals. But if you're a business, especially if you are a free radical and you need to be able to control your own destiny. So it's, yeah, it's one of the challenges. Jeff, did you want to add anything to that? No, it, it, he nailed it really because it was the same thing there is that just a disconnect of where we wanted to be to where the, the licensee wanted to be. Interestingly, I don't know if there's an answer to this. You may have thought about it. If not, then that's cool. But if you look back on that, is there anything you think uh, you, if you were in their position, you would have done differently as a licensee to solve that problem? Or do you think it's just inevitable? I, yeah, there's a a lot of things that I think they could have done differently. Um, I think that we, as being part of, and I've, I've been part of large licensees for you know, we went from, AM, from, from AXA through to financial wisdom. Um, and to be, to be honest, I think there's a lot of times where um, management of those licensees could have, and I'll use the word, take a stick to those that were causing the problems. In other words, uh, punish, punish them. Well, or just pull them into line to say, look, you know, this is the way that you need to act. I, I use the example of, of the um, imposition of software that's needed. So, you know, we've, we've seen most of the, the licensees go down a, a, a path where they mandate the software that you want it to be used yeah. because it assists them in their compliance role. And I fully understand that and I appreciate that. I've got no problems with that yeah. at all. When you've got advisors that say, I don't want to do that, to me that a conversation should be, we need you to do that for this reason. If you don't want to do that, we need to know how you can remain with us. Yeah, it's it's. You know and they it's, just yeah, nobody wanted to make. I, I don't believe they wanted to make those tough decisions, and you know we've we've come a long way from a sales culture, but some of us haven't. That's fair. That's fair. It's it's ironically it's the same as you you would be with your clients, Jeff. If they're not yeah. willing to take your advice and follow, then they're not a client anymore. But yeah, um, James, do you want to add anything, or should we should we move on and talk about the search? No, that makes sense. I think Jeff nailed it pretty much. So. Good. Uh, I want to share a little bit. Uh, I'm going to share sort of some, uh, some of what Matt sort of uh, shared with me. And he said, look, similar for him, one of the biggest challenges that he found was the additional compliance regime. It made it more and more difficult, which is kind of echoing what you guys have said, which is um, there were checks and balances put in place to manage everybody as if there was a risk amongst everybody. And uh, certain requirements, I think, around... Um, practice succession, which is starting to come to the fore, you know, requirements that you group together or semi, have a semi-agency situation, which almost feels like we're going back to the, to, to the future, back to the past a little bit more. And I think, yeah, anyway, let's talk about the search. And obviously at the bit, you, you make the call, which is the first step in the process. And then you realize that either you have a time frame or you have a desired time frame, and you go out there and you start looking, right? Um, you know what, James, you can go first this time. Um, how did you go about finding your new home? Well, I think we had a sort of a, a little bit of confirmation bias. We sort of know, knew we wanted to go towards our own license, but we did, go, we did go through the process and we did speak to a lot of licensees out there. So it wasn't just, this is what we're going to do. I wanted to know what was out there before we actually 
I suppose, came back to what we thought was the right decision, which was our own AFSL. So we did speak to a lot of people and, and really just, I suppose, speaking to everyone uh, out there, it really confirmed what we already knew that the only way we were going to get what we wanted is by doing it ourselves. Yeah, so that, that was really what it kept coming back to. I kept coming up against roadblocks and, you know, and, and I don't think we do anything particularly different from any other good holistic advisor, but the, the roadblocks seemed to just mount as, as I spoke to different people. But there was also a lot of promises made yep. that I didn't believe. Okay. <laughs> so, and that's perhaps, you know, probably a little bit cynical from past experience. But, um, and, and look, I, I, Jeff would be the same. We all, you all speak to people in the industry all the time. So we hear all the war stories and we know, you know, advisors are pretty well connected and they do talk to each other. So you really? do know what's going on. Um, so I think it's a, that was, that was a, an interesting part of that process. Um, but look, the reality was it just came back to we knew we were going to be better off on our own. We were, we were self-isolating ourselves, put it that way. <laughs> um, can we get really practical? Um, when you went about, I know you're, you, you're yeah. a, a really good networker, but what is, if, you were saying, if someone's out there and saying, you know, I, I need to talk to other advisors, and I think it's one of the best ways of doing it, what do, you, what do you find the best avenues of having those conversations with other advisors and finding out their experience when maybe a lot of your experience has been within that, that licensee so far? Uh, yeah, so, so when I went through, I just I just grabbed a heap of people I knew at different licenses and went and spoke to them, whether it's over coffee or lunch or on the phone. I just really trying to get as much information as I could and trying to get it, you know, as much off the record as you could. You know, you didn't want to. I'm not, you know, we all got to do formal things at times, but you, you always get the best insight when you're talking informally. Yeah. Um, and, and really just trying to get a sense of you know, specific things that I knew would be a problem for me and drilling down with those particular people and trying to get a sense of how that licensee actually operated on a day-to-day basis. That helped us make that decision and how it applied to us. Now, it, it will be completely different for someone else because we, we all have our own little things that we like and mm. dislike. Right? So this is certainly not a, a template for this is right for everyone because it's, yeah. it's just not. It depends on you as an advisor and what type of advisor you are and what clients you look after and all sorts of other factors. So, uh, but that, that's what we did. We just spent that time. And I reckon it probably took me a good six months to have those conversations. Yep. That's a lot. That's a, that's a decent amount of time. But you, I mean, you, you had a very clear time frame as to when you were doing things, yeah? Yeah. Jeff, how about yourself? What was your approach? Did it differ from that? Did you? I mean, obviously, you were looking very specifically for a for a, for a licensee. Tell me Actually, more. Actually, I I started with the idea that I was going to be self licensed. Um, as okay. you said, we've we've got three uh, three offices. We've got a reasonably large um, operation. Cost wise, we could probably have, have uh, you know done the own license thing probably cheaper than what we could for a, a, a licensee. I went to a information day. I can't remember who held it. And there was a, a panel talking and one of the guys said that he, that they got their own license and somebody said, how, how much time does it take mm. you to run the licensee? And his response was, oh, look, from the office point of view, about a day a week, uh, from my point of view, probably a day a fortnight. And okay. I said to myself then, and I said, I don't have a day a fortnight now. And that was the, the catalyst that said, forget your own license. You're not, um, you're not organized enough. You know, you're not willing to, to put the, that hard work into that side of the business because you don't enjoy it. And, okay. that was, and that was then said, right, now I've got to go and find a licensee. So what are the parameters that I'm, I'm pulling out here? So when you and, went to the, um, yeah. actually, James, let's talk about that better you. How has that been, how does that reflect your experience of running your own license time-wise? Yeah, look, so a lot of time put in initially to get it where you need it to be, no doubt. I reckon, you know, the, the first year of running the license was pretty, pretty full on getting the systems and processes right to run that license properly. Uh, and I, and I, I think we're still tweaking that as we go forward. Um, uh, a day a week, yeah, maybe, maybe a day a fortnight. Um, but I think if you get the processes right and the systems right, uh, it's not as onerous as some people may. And also making sure that you're partnering with the right people. This is, I think, crucial. It's not just about trying to do all this on your own. We don't do it on our own. We have partners that we work with on the compliance side that assist us in doing that. So, it, and we pay for that service, right? So, 
it's not it's not that deal but with those right partnerships and the right processes and systems in place uh, I think we have a reasonably good setup now there's now, a lot fair bit of work to start with knowing both of you that I know that your personality types are certain that you're you're a very system sneaker James you're very detailed you're a real detail person that's not to say you're not Jeff but I know that you prefer to spend your time differently right yes you, you can say that, that I'm not short. You know me that no, well. It's actually not about us. It's about it's about enjoyment. James actually probably if, if you if you if he's honest, he'd say he probably shouldn't spend as much time as he does tweaking the processes and, sure. and uh, because he doesn't enjoy it and he gets too deep in it. Same deal here. And and at the same time, Jeff, if you just spend the rest of your life sat down building processes, you'd probably be pretty miserable straight away. You're yeah. a, you're. I mean. That struck me when I, when I was talking to a lot of people, particularly Rhett Das, who has been really helpful in this, and Sam Hawke, they, they made that comment. They said, be really aware of who you are and what you enjoy. Because if you don't enjoy the detailed stuff, maybe you shouldn't be running your own licensee. If you do, then you may adapt really quickly. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably fair. Uh, to, to a point, uh, I think you can, if, you, if we take your advice, Stu, and we, we delegate properly, so, you know, um, you can actually hand some of this off to key staff members to do, which I do do. Um, so there are key staff members that do certain things as part of running the license. And we split that up. We don't have a dedicated compliance person as such, but we have key areas where key people are responsible for key things. Got it. So you can, you can absolutely do that. So, so That's really useful. So let's, before we move into the transition piece, and by the way, can I just make a point, Stu? Uh, just on that, just from a license, just run, running your own license. What I, the one thing, the big thing I took away in the first 12 months was I actually think that the detail and the minutiae that we had to go into in terms of understanding the responsibilities as a responsible manager of a license and the licensee process, I think has made me a better advisor. For what reasons? Well, I think you get a much better understanding of your responsibilities as a, an advisor in terms of how you deliver advice and what are the responsibilities of your advice process, etc. So and it's not to say that we don't know them because we do, because we've been, we've all, and Jeff would be the same. We've been doing this a long time, right? You sort of do know your responsibilities, but it's quite interesting when you go through the detail. So I do, I actually do have some, some sympathy for the compliance people at the big licensees. Yeah. It, it is quite a, it is a burdensome job and, and there is a lot of detail to it. Um, but I think it's important as an advisor to try and have some understanding of that. Beautiful. And I guess the other thing to point out is, um, is the fact that, Jeff, you're not just managing. I mean, James, you're, you're managing a business. You've got, an, you've got a team behind you, but Jeff's also got other advisors in the business, which eat up a lot of time. So um, it's, again, different strokes for different folks, so to speak. So let's just sort of bring home this piece around, uh, you know, when you're out there and you're looking and you're assessing because I, I, it's like anything. It's really, really easy to get um, sort of waylaid or, or attracted by certain things you think are important, but they're not. What's your biggest tips for when you're out there looking for a new home, things that you suggest people do or don't do? In no particular order, just jump them out and I'll, I'll talk to them. Ask for information and, and ask for, for, for copies of things. I, I wish I'd had been a bit more vigilant in getting uh, information out of um, prospective licensees. Yep. Beautiful. Because they'll all promise you the world. James? Uh, examples. Take the licensee through an example of a client you have and see how they would deal with it from an advice point of view and a compliance point of view. Love it. Work on an actual case study. Yeah. Beautiful. I did it with a, uh, one of them. I won't mention any names. And I got a very clear picture very quickly that they weren't going to be the right fit for us based on that particular client. Perfect. Any others? Uh, I think the licensee needs to be the right fit for the right, what type of advisor you are and what type of clients you're giving advice to. So, and I'll just use some, you know, if you're just doing very basic advice that's not too complicated, then maybe an AMP or an MLC model might be right for you or, you know, one of the bigger licensees. If you're doing bespoke, more complicated, multi-entity strategies with clients and, 
you know, et cetera, maybe a more boutique or self-licensed might be a better option for you. I think it depends on what type of advice you are and who you're giving advice to. Yeah, perfect. What, anything else, gents, that you think is really important? Yeah, that, I'm following on from that, um, having, having a variety of, of advisors in my business, I had to balance all of that. So it's just, you know, I take on board what James is saying, and it is true, is trying to get that balance across the board. So can, you, can, they, can they deal with the outliers as well as the mainstream? Love it. The other, the other thing would be how they, how they deliver advice. So the big thing for us has been how we deliver advice to a client. Um, no one likes SOAs, right? They are horrible. Hassock <laughs> I, I, I don't think they even like them. <laughs> they're, just, they're just horrible documents. So how, how people deliver their advice I think is really important. I think that is something that's going to change dramatically going forward um, I because I think even after this particular crisis we're going through, it would be – what is absolutely important right now is you need to deliver your client's advice right now because some clients are in crisis and being able to deliver that efficiently and quickly and cheaply, I think is more important than anything. Yeah, I agree. Well, you know, my view, I think portals in future, it won't be an SRI. Yeah. You build it together over a period of time. But Maybe. Yeah. Um, a couple of others I wanted to pull out. Michael Gerskoff from Lifespan was, uh, was kind enough to sort of send through his thoughts. I think Michael's always a really interesting dude to speak to. He said, get copies of all key current documents, including fact find, risk profiling tool, APL, SOA plus ROA templates, FTS, FSG, past new lead and marketing content. And I guess if, if you can't get hold of it, that's probably a red flag straight away, which I know Jeff will probably agree with me straight away. Very uh, much. He said, never believe possible bullshit featuring buzzwords around culture. <laughs> and be skeptical about around support services uh, unless it can be demonstrated, you know how it's given. Um, one of the things that uh, Matt said he did is he sat down and we've I, I, we sat down this together is actually go through and, and get clear about what he wanted, uh, make it about seven criteria, and then weight those. So whenever you're scoring services, you're doing it through the, the lens of what you actually need, as opposed to you know the the how well the proposition is put forward. Yeah, I'll that. Uh, but I think yeah that. That thing about make sure that you can cite what the tools that you're going to be asked to use, you should be able to look at them before you, before you jump in. Agreed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Elizabeth says that what she's taken from this so far is to delegate and do what you like doing. Yeah. <laughs> do that in life. I think you, that's a pretty good uh, rule. Should we jump into the actual experience of transitioning? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to go first on this one? Uh, you're kind of, you're still partway through this, right? Yeah, so we're only we're only new. We've been with our licensee now, just just under two months. Okay, so if you're if someone else is is looking at how to go through this or how to transition or what they need to know or what they can prepare for, or you know the mistakes that maybe will slow them down, what would be the main things from your experience that have either um, gone smoothly or yeah, yeah, probably getting getting a lot of support around uh, how they want you to do business. So being with a licensee, they want to vet the advice that you're giving. Uh, you know, you, you've thought that you were giving good advice. Your previous licensee thought you were giving good advice. The new licensee may say, oh, there's just some things that we'd like to see changed. Right. Uh, so it's, it's getting the support there uh, along the way. And I think the, one of the beauties of, of, of not having your own license is being able to outsource a lot of the... Uh, remuneration transition okay. just putting, you know we you know, filled out a, a multitude of forms but somebody fixed all that up um, and, I, and I know that I'm paying for that privilege but it's something that I'm prepared to do so outsource things like the the REM yeah anything else no that that's really about it, it it's you know realize there's a there's a much greater cost you, you might have to have you'll have some marketing that will need to be done you know new business cards new yeah. whatever it might be. How has the team been able to adapt to it? Uh, yeah, they're, they're adapting pretty well. Actually, there's a, there's a few of them adapting better than I am. Uh, <laughs> to it. Um, but they're, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a why person. Why, why do we need to do that rather than just do it? Yeah. I'd like to know yeah, why. I think it's good. And um, is there anything uh, that's just has been a lot easier than you thought it would be? Uh, no, <laughs> no, there's nothing that's been easy. 
Right. Um, it's been we've see we've gone to a completely new software. Our, our licensee has proprietary software, and yeah. and uh, it, it's great, and it, and it does a lot of things. But it's it's a struggle at the moment just to get on top of. Okay. And tra- how, how do you approach training? Because I know the thing is a lot, a lot of people hit problems, particularly with software is a big one. And a lot of the time, you, I like to eliminate two things before we start to look at it. And one of them is, have you actually done training? And are people actually investing time to use the new stuff? Because if those yeah. two things aren't being done, then every other problem is secondary. What's yeah, look, we're doing, we're doing a lot of Zoom meetings with our support. Uh, and we're also, the, the, the software itself has um, inbuilt video training so okay so that you're insisting on the team actually doing the training yeah i'm i'm actually joining then a lot of the team are actually organizing training and i'm joining into that beautiful so. james um yours in terms of the transition would have been a lot more hands-on do you want to tell us a bit about how you went about it yeah so uh, probably a little bit different from jeff because it wasn't forced on us we had a, probably a little bit more time to prepare which i think is a, a key part to this preparation is really important so you know I, I could quite easily say we had a 12 month run up probably to getting the license which is probably mm-hmm. fair um so a lot of planning around that so we did a you know how much i like to plan out my processes in terms of my timelines so we did a yeah. fair bit of that uh prior to starting the process um yeah. understanding what we were going to have to do obviously literally from a day-to-day point of view Things like, you know, when we actually get our license, what SOAs are we going to have to do for every client? Um, what communications are we going to have to have with each client? Um, so making sure you're just getting your ducks in a row, you know. Yep. Um, but, you know, and then also looking at things like, well, what, what's your new offer? Are you having a new offer under your new license? Obviously, you're changing the way you're doing things. What's your new offer look like? What are your fee schedules? What are your inclusions, you know? being really clear on all that as part of that yeah. transition. Um, obviously understanding the compliance burden and that's a, that's a learning curve. As I say, that, that can take up to 12 months, but really being clear on what you need to do from a licensing point of view and what your obligations are to ASIC as part of that. Um, uh, things like Jeff mentioned revenue transfer. Um, we actually got someone to do that for us as well. So, um, uh, which again, but that was certainly worth doing things like, you know, watching out for things like um, PI cover runoff, yep. for example. Um, so, so all of these things are things that you've got to take into account as part of that transition. But it's just about sitting down at the beginning and working yep. out where all these pain points are, working out where they're going to be in the process, and right. then obviously putting a small plan in place for each one about how you're going to address it. Question for you both. How did you position this with clients? Yeah, mine, mine was easy. Um, I told them that the licensee was, had made the decision to shut down and therefore we were being moved on. Right. <laughs> no pull punches. Oh. Not, you know, and, and simply said, look, they're, uh, they, what they do is they provide a support service to me. Um, we have found another, another group to provide us that support service. This is the difference between the two. One was owned by a major bank. The other one is privately owned. Um, you know, I'd done my due, I've done my due diligence. I know where I, I wanted to be. Um, and I haven't, I don't think we had any pushback at all. Yeah. So did, like when you say pushback, did it just, was it more, was it one of those, oh, okay, whatever. Or was it a couple of questions and they moved on? Was there any? Uh, usually, uh, you know, who are these people and, and you know, what's their role? Gotcha. Perfect. James, how about you? How did you position the whole thing? Uh, well, obviously, you position it as a good news story, right? That's what you've got to do. You've got to, you've got to get in front of it. I think it's an absolute opportunity to get in front of every client, talk about how you're going to provide that ongoing service to them going forward. It gives you an opportunity to potentially do an SOA for them. And I know that costs money and time, but I think it also gives you an opportunity then to reposition fees and services. So you would know very, you obviously know what we did in terms of our fee uplift and how we did yeah. that. Uh, so it also gives you an opportunity to jettison some clients along the way um, because the, 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 and that's just the reality of where, where you know, not always going to, not all, every client's going to be the right fit for your business. And we're seeing that as we move forward. And as the cost of advice gets uh, more burdensome, that we're seeing the clients obviously are not fitting into the model that we have. And, and look, that's obviously sad, but it's about then 
finding them a new home potentially. Um, so I think it, it really gives you an opportunity to do all of that as part of that. So it is a very much a good news story. And I think you've got to paint it as that. Um, mm. You know, you, you, you talk about independence without saying you're independent, of course, because you can't say that yep. um, unless you actually are. Um, but I, 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 I didn't have any, any negative feedback from the conversations we had. Some clients didn't care, I'll be yep. honest. They didn't, didn't care. Some clients were just, you know, whatever, James, and some were really, really positive about it. Um, I'm interested, uh, what did you change? Did you take the opportunity to change anything with clients when you went through this process or did you just leave it as, as similar as possible? James, you're smiling. Yeah, you know me. I love changing stuff. My staff <laughs> hate it, but I, I sort of love changing stuff. Um, well, I'm a big believer in, especially in this massively changing environment we're in right now and the industry that we've been in for the last number of years, that if you're not in front of this, you're behind it and you don't want to be behind this. So I, I, I believe you have to change and you have to can change continually to keep in front of things. Um, yeah. Now, some people don't agree with that. That's okay. Um, but for us, it, we took this as an opportunity to, to rip things apart, basically. So not quite back to a white piece of paper and start again, but it was a real opportunity to really look at everything within the business and how we did it, how we wanted to do it, what we're going to be happy doing going forward and, and then take it apart from there. So, What's one thing that you change either with clients or in the way you work, which has been most obvious or most useful? Um, I think the big one now is that we don't do an initial, we don't charge an initial fee for SOAs, um, for example. So we, we say to a client, we're, you know, we'll engage them for a 12-month period. So they come on board for a 12-month period. Uh, we might do one, two, or three SOAs in the first 12 months, yep. but they're paying a, a, probably a slightly increased fee for the first 12 months to do that um, because we're saying to the clients that, you know, as soon as we write you an SOA, it's wrong. <laughs> right, which it is. It, that's just fact. It's so you. I think you have to be agile in terms of how you deliver that advice over the first twelve months to make sure you get them where they need to be. Case that's in, probably the big change. The case big in point: you wrote an SOA for a client four weeks ago, and they come back to you. Totally <laughs> different now. Right? Jeff, how about you? Did you? As part of you, what you're going through, what you've been through, have you taken the opportunity to change anything with clients or? Yeah, similar, similar situation, as you know, Stu, we've, we've looked at our fees, we've looked at uh, the cost of servicing clients, uh, you know, and trying to take that on board now and, and putting it into place. It's hard because you've, what you're really explaining to clients is that it's not because of the change of licensee that you're, um, you know, you're no longer able to assist them mm. uh, for the level of fee that they pay. It's got to do with the, the changes to the industry. Uh, and the requirements that are that are needed for us to to be able to to do this. Well, in, in some ways, the the reason why the licensee closed down is because of the the financial aspects of it, which is you're increasing your fees, so you don't have to do the same thing they did. They just couldn't couldn't make a business out of it. And I guess at your level, you don't want to be able to you don't want to have to say that. Well, no, and that's that's the thing with it. And and I suppose the the other thing that we're still trialing now that part of this, this new software and things is things that we've never had access to before. So digital signatures and mm -hmm. the like, you know, being able to do a lot more electronically. Uh, and these, these last, you know, two to three weeks is really coming to the fore of, of what can be done. Uh, and I asked the question as to, you know, will we work the same again ever? Or, no. or is, this a, is this a permanent change in the way that we do things? Jeff, what do you think? Obviously, you think everything's changed. What do you think? Yeah, I, do. I, I think the, the requirement to, to physically sit in front of a client um, is no more uh, because clients re are going to realise that um, they can do this video conference thing. They can do this telephone uh, thing. Not that they won't want to sit in front of you, but it's not a requirement to do yeah. that. Agreed. James, uh, what, yep. Sorry, keep going. No, no, I was just going to say that the ability to work from an, uh, not from a central location. James, what do you think? Do you think it'll go back to the way it has or some things will stick? Oh, no, I think it's going to change. I, I, and I agree with Jeff completely. I, maybe ASIC will re realise you don't have to actually sit in front of someone to deliver a review and you can actually do it through other means, which would be nice. Um, but, yeah, no, I think it, look, it's, we're already looking at this and saying, well, this could be a real 
a silver lining to all this as, yeah. as much as it can be. You know, we could maybe have one sit down with a client a year and all the others are done remotely via Zoom or whatever it is you're using. This actually could be a cost saving for financial planning businesses. And I know from my experience, I'm sure everyone else that's done this before, I know when I do a Zoom review with a client, it's probably half the time of what a normal review is because I'm not waffling about rubbish that I normally waffle about when I'm talking with a client, you know? In, in, in an online environment, you've got 50 minutes until people's attention starts dropping if, if you're lucky. Yeah, and I, I agree. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll add to that. And please, guys, I'd love to hear from you. Don, Elizabeth, what do you think is going to change or stay the same? I think communication between advisors and their clients, uh, I think that will stick. I think this, this desire to pay more attention and want to communicate with people, I think that's going to stick around. And I think the number of times I've worked with advisors on communication and they come back, but I don't want to bother clients. I don't want to fill their inbox. I think that's going to change and that's changed forever. Uh, independence. Do you think clients value it or do you think we're blowing hot smoke up our own bums and thinking that it's a value proposition to differentiate? I might go for, look, I actually think I've changed my view a little bit on this over the years. I didn't think independence was a thing at all. I thought it was a bit of a load of, not rubbish, but I didn't think it was that as important. I think as I think the thought process in the industry is probably changing a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think with the the code of ethics, whether you agree with them or not, mm-hmm. have fundamentally changed the way we interact with clients and the the trans you know the how transparent we have to be with clients on everything. And yep. I think there genuinely is conflicts out there that we have to manage. Now they're saying you can't have any conflicts, but there are conflicts you have to manage. And I think asset-based fees potentially, and there's arguments on both sides of this, so I'm not going to try and blow up your you know, commentary on this, but um, and potentially insurance commissions are effectively conflicted in some way, shape or form. Um, so, I mean, I, in an ideal world, I'd like to move towards where it's nice and clean and I just get a fee and that's it. The reality is I've built a business where I've got some legacy stuff in there, but I'm going to gradually have to transition out over time before I can actually use that tag. So, yeah. Jeff? Uh, I think that, yeah, the the independence argument um, has been skewed. Uh, I think it's got to do with if if you're independently owned, um, as someone like James is, and, and I know James's circumstances, um, where where he owns the license, um, there's not an influence from any other person. Uh, yep. Then you know the the fact that um, some remuneration comes in because of a an old trail book, does that make him not independent? Well, in the eyes of ASIC and the the law, that's what they say. But I I yep. think that it's a a, a long bow to draw. And having come from a, a, a bank-owned licensee, um, I can tell you I, one of the things that I looked for in, uh, in a new licensee was not being owned by an institution, so I wasn't apologising for the you know, media headlines that were happening at the time. Yeah, I've worked with businesses before where they've come on board a licensee and six months later they're being asked why they're not writing this product. And I think that's, yep. that's, that for me is the main... Even those businesses who are really open about it and they say, look, I'm not going to do that just because of it. I know there was yep. that even had problems because their in-house aligned planners didn't want to write the product because, because of perception. You've got Guys, to remember, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, you've got to remember that the independence piece, the 923 was actually driven by the banks. So the banks made it that hard. So they weren't going to have any competition when it came in. So that definition is so strict because they made it that strict. Yeah. So, so I think the, Jeff's argument is very valid. I think it could be loosened somewhat so. uh, t- to be more encompassing of other advisors. Well, they have the thing in the UK where you're either going to be restricted or unrestricted. I don't know if that's actually correct, right, but uh, I think it's the terminology which people didn't like. Um, yeah. Let's just, uh, I'm going to go through to the questions. This has been great, guys. Thank you so much. Let's jump at some questions. Uh, I'm just going to pull things out. Sam, you know, let's ask this question. Gents, when you were out there looking at licensee services or even the people who were supporting a licensee, what were the main offerings, what were the main proposition components which you ranked most highly for you and ultimately would, you know, made you make a positive decision as opposed to a negative one? 
was it marketing support? Was it outsourced power planning? What were the things? I, I did have a need for power planning. Um, yep. I have an in-house power planner, but the guys that I work with uh, needed outsourced power planning. So that was something that was a, uh, a need for me. Uh, my Oz was around, really around compliance of the licence. Yep. Um, and having a network of other advisors in that same boat that you could draw resources from. Um, so I think that's important. And when you say network, does that mean just having like the licensee or the, the, the approaches for the licensee actively get people together or just knowing that there's other people? Other, yeah, so other AFSL holders, for example. Okay. People that are in a similar situation to us that, have, you know, understand the the challenges of running their own license. I think that's been important to be able to utilize that network. Community. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Anything else? No. Cost. 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 Anything which, you know, when it was presented to you as being a real differentiator, you looked at it and went, no, not even close. I think it's interesting how many talked about their their software. You know, we, we have our own, uh, you know, inbuilt version of, of Xplan. Uh, or in a, the licensee I joined, we have our own proprietary software. Um, software, software. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I think the software thing's interesting because I think uh, we, we've had that scope to do what we wanted to do on the software side. Um, and I don't, I, I, I've spoken to you about this before, Stu, I don't think it's a, a one piece of software solves the problem. I think it's yeah. having a stack of software that does various things, yeah. uh, but they all effectively can talk to each other. And that's what we've tried to build. I'm not saying we've got it 100% right because we haven't yet. Uh, yeah. But I know what some, some of the software we're using is so much more advanced than anything else, you know, anything that X-Plan could potentially do from an engagement point of view. So, yeah, you know, so there is, there is that. That's a good point. Unless you're absolutely certain as, uh, that your software solution can support the kind of business models that you're, you're out there, forcing people to use it is going to create more problems. And look, I've spoken to Michael Kitsis about this before. One of the biggest problems in the industry is the people who use who the people who the software is sold to, and not the people who use it. And that's that's breaking the golden rule of, of software development, unfortunately. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh, the reason why Sam's asking is um, it's interesting. A lot of businesses are now going down the route of saying, you know what, we're going to start our own specific licensee. We're going to like uh, Absolute Sydney, these kind of, uh, and we're going to build it up from the ground off, based around that very clear fit. We're going to do certain things for certain people. And that's, that's the route that Sam, Sam's going down. So, uh, yeah, I think, getting, I, I think Don made the point as well that the ability to inter interact with a high-quality peer group community is the biggest plus of a dealer group. And he made the observation that, unfortunately, not a lot of them, not many of them have that capability um, actively in, engaged. Let's just ask a couple more and then respectful of your time. Yeah. Stu, can we go to Jacey's question? Yeah, totally. I know she, I think she's true. Uh, yeah. Question for James. Go for it. Yeah. Which one was it? <laughs> what, what sort of revenue would you recommend a sole trader was yeah. generating before obtaining an AFSL? Oh, God. James. Uh, well, I'm just, I think you've got to look at what the cost of running your AFSL is. So generally it will be less. So I know when we moved from charter, we were paying about 80K a year. Uh, and with everything that dropped to about 50. So it's, it's, if you want to do it on percentages, if you can run off 5% or, you know, some licensees charge up to 10% of revenue, didn't they, in the old days? So, I mean, like, so I think you would want to have, you'd probably want to be five, six, seven hundred up, to be honest, to make it viable. It's, uh, yeah, I think obviously the bigger you are, the, the easier it becomes because it's a flat fee to run your license generally rather than a percentage-based fee, which is what obviously some licensees charge, not all. Uh, so I would suggest, and some of them have caps, of course. Um, yeah, for us, it's about 50K a year to run our license, roughly. Given what's going on right now with a lot of licensees, you know, tapping practices on the shoulder and saying you don't have enough money to be part of our group, which we can talk about the... Moral, moral ethics of that given the current environment. I think if you look at the level of which they're tapping people on the shoulder, you know, which is typically under half a mil usually, mm. I, if, you, if a licensee can't enable themselves to run you as part of a group, you are going to probably find it really, really challenging to run your own AFSL 
that's probably a rule of thumb, which probably a lot of people may not want to hear, but I, I definitely, if you're under that level, I definitely ask whether going from a licensee who can't support you to your own licensee is necessarily going to be a good choice. Would yeah. you say that's fair? Yeah. I think that the reality of where we're going, if things carry on on the same trajectory in terms of legislation, running a, let's call it a one-man band advice firm is going to be very difficult going forward from a yeah. compliance point of view, in my opinion. But um, who knows? Maybe all this coronavirus will change the way we give advice. Maybe the government will come to their senses. Can, can, we'll I, get... dis can I throw a disagreeing view in there? Because I actually sure. think the reverse. Okay. I think running a one-man band is not the expensive part. Okay. I think, I think running a, a multi-advisor firm is where the risk is involved because you've got, um, you know, the potential for somebody to give advice contrary to what the law says that you should do because you're not doing it. And so you're when, you're, when you're the licence holder and you're the one providing advice, you're taking the responsibility there for every piece of advice that goes out. So yep. this, this is a situation where you've got, like you've got a corporate authorised representative yep. structure and you've yep. got people who are over there. Essentially, they are part of your group, but they might not be aware of it. They may think they're running their own show, right? Possibly, that's, yeah. That's, that's, yeah, I, I agree with that. That's, that's, um, that is a dangerous situation. Cool. Gents, this has been absolutely awesome. Thank you for sharing. Final word, where do you think, uh, where do you think this is all heading? What's your biggest tip you can give over the next 12 months for businesses regarding licensee transition and all of those elements. James. Uh, I, think, I think the first thing is we've got to get through this next six months, right? So the first thing I would say is you've got to communicate, communicate, communicate with your clients as much as you can. We've been actively doing that. Um, you, I don't think you can communicate too much in this environment. If you think you're communicating too much, you're probably doing it about right. Yeah. Um, uh, so keep doing that. Uh, I think once we get through the six months, I really hope, uh, what my, my hope is, is that we can actually get to some sensible resolution on this legislation. I hope this coronavirus actually makes people realise that under the Code of Ethics, maybe we should be giving advice like lawyers do. We don't have all these stupid SOAs to do. Not saying you shouldn't give clients information, but you know, you're going to get pinged on the Code of Ethics if you do the wrong thing anyway. So an advice document is not going to make much difference, right? So I think, you know, if we could take some of the burden off advice firms and, um, you know, allow us to actually do our job, which is give advice. Uh, you'd actually reduce the cost to serve and you'd actually, in these difficult times for many, you'll get advice out to people that actually need it. I, I, I hope this is a Pied Piper moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hope so. Jeff? Uh, I think from a, a change of licensee perspective that, uh, if you, you are looking to change your licensee, um, whether it be to go out on your own, uh, don't make costs the number one thing. Uh, there's a lot of cheap licensees out there. Um, uh, there's a lot of licensees that are going to put their costs up. You know, work on what, you know, make sure that if, if you're going to a licensee, make sure they're the right licensee to work with you and they can provide you the support that you need. Love it. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Everybody, I hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, I have, as always. Um, guys, uh, stay safe. Uh, you too. I hope you've got an interesting weekend to plan, though I imagine it's probably at home, right? Yeah. Sure. Have a great weekend. I'll speak to you soon. Cheers. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Right See you soon. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the licensee transition. I hope you really enjoyed that. I want to thank Jeff and James and also Matt uh, for being part of our panel sessions. I love this format. And it's something over these coming months, especially with our new uh, virtual meeting on space, conference space at Connect Space. This is something I'm keen to do more of. As usual, I just want to let you know if there's something that you like or you'd like to share with me, please do. If you'd like to leave a review, it would really help me as well. And uh, other than that, the main thing I wanted to mention is if uh, you in particular are listening to some of the stories, uh, particularly the ones from people I've worked with, and we're talking about some changes that you're thinking of making in your business, whether you need to increase your efficiency, whether you need to increase your profit, whether you've got some compliance monkeys on your back that you need to get off, uh, whether you need to get a bit more out of your staff, you need to set yourself for outsourcing, you need to get your systems and processes, or most importantly, you want to build a system that has more impact, communicates better with clients, retains them, and gives you more time to focus on what matters, uh, reach out. 
Uh, we've got a number of different programs. We're in the middle of sort of relaunching a, a new sort of version of one of our most uh, utilized programs. So uh, if now is the time that you're thinking, I need some help, I want to move faster, I want to shortcut this, uh, I want to be part of, you know, building something with someone like me, then reach out, drop me an email at stuart at idera.com.au and I'll chat to you a bit more about how I see things and how that works. Other than that, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, there's more to come. Have a great week and I will speak to you soon.